we got some good stuff to get into. This is the season of Passover. When I say the season of Passover, you guys notice a few things. One, when we say Passover, uh, generally that refers to a multiple different, you know, Moedim that are given. We have Passover, and then in the time of Passover, we have first fruits, we have unleavened bread, and then we start counting the days to Shavuot, right? So there's all these things that really start happening in the time of Passover. So Passover is this amazing time the Father has given us. It's a time to keep the focus of redemption. That is the goal. That is the thing we're looking at Passover. You know, all of these things testify of Yeshua. You know, we, we, we look at the, what Yeshua came for and what he did. And do any of you think that it's just coincidental that Yeshua came in the time of Pesach? I don't. I don't. I think that Yahweh orchestrated all of these things to line up where at the right time, Yeshua came to the earth. Matter of fact, doesn't scripture say that? That at the right time, God sent his son. So what are these times and these seasons that we're looking at? They're prophetic in nature as well as they are uh, literal as well. So we're going to consider some of these things today and understand Yeshua came to gather people all over the world into faith with Yahweh. That's it, that he gave us a way to have access to come into the heavenly realms, to be in this relationship with Yah, and uh, we thank him for that. But again, Passover, we, we, we look at Passover and it's like, oh, it's just, it's just about this time that we're getting together and just having a meal, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, in the past few weeks, we've talked about a few of these things. We talked about uh, Yeshua being first fruits. We talked about him being our Passover lamb. We talked about all these things. And then we're, uh, we will be looking ahead to see uh, Shavuot coming up as well. But understand that when Yeshua came, he came to redeem. And, and who is in need of redemption? Guys, we all are. We all are. And so we've all walked our own ways and done our own things. But he says he came to redeem us. You know what the word redeem means? purchase. It means I'm not my own. I belong to him. And so if, if we belong to him, why do we think we can continue to do things our own way with our own desires and our own things and think he's just going to be okay with it? See, if he purchased us, if he redeemed us, then guess what? We serve him. And so with what heart do we do that? Do we thank him that he's redeemed us from sin, death, oppression, slavery, the bondage of this world, all of these things? Do we thank him that he's redeemed us from these things? Or do we try to continue to dabble in our own ways? See, these are some of the things that Passover is the theme of Passover, some things to address. So we're going to get into a few things today, mainly talking about this redemption. Yes, Yahweh pulled Israel out of Mitzrayim as a nation. Up until that point, you see, he dealt mainly, you see, with individuals, right? But then when he brought Israel out, he brought them out as one people. He brought them out as one body. He brought them out as one nation, see? And, and even so, when, even when we see the God of Israel, when we read about that in Scripture, the very first time that phrase, the God of Israel, is used in Scripture is at Mount Sinai, when they saw the God of Israel and they partook of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings right there in that mountain where, you, where Moshe proclaimed, this is the blood of the covenant that was given to you in accordance with these words. Does that sound familiar to any of you? So there's a lot to be said about that, okay? First off, let's take a look at this. The Moedim in Leviticus 23, they are literal, yeah, they're literal. See, we, we live in a society today where we tend to make everything an allegory. You know, we make everything just kind of theoretical. Guess what, guys? Leviticus 23, when Yahweh gave them, they were literal. But they are also spiritual. 
Okay, they're things to walk through, literally speaking, but they're things to walk through, spiritually speaking as well. Why? So that it benefits us, body, mind, spirit. Everything about us is to be injected into these Moedim. These are appointed times that Yahweh said he's going to meet with us. See, when you read Leviticus 23, it says these are the appointed times of Yahweh. It does not say these are the appointed times for, you know, these people or those people or those people. It said these are the appointed times for Yahweh. They're his. My appointed times is what Yah said. And so if we are in covenant and in relationship with him, should we partake of the things that he says there are blessings in? See, so we partake of these things. First of which is Shabbat, right? Shabbat testifies of the decision of covenant. It says, we will rest in him. Not my own ways, not my own heart, not my own things. We will rest in him. That's a decision of covenant. And then we look at the spring Moedim that testify of when Yeshua was here the first time. The fall Moedim testify of his return. But the spring Moedim, they testify of what he did when he was here. Passover is all about redemption. The blood has been applied. There is, I am bringing you out. This is redeeming you. And then for first fruit, first fruit, if the first fruit of the crop was accepted, then the entire crop was acceptable and holy to Yahweh. And if Yeshua is our first fruit, he says the field is ready for harvest, right? Well, who's the field? Who's in the field? Who's growing out there? We are. And so if the field is ready for harvest, what was the first of that? Yeshua. He was our first fruit. And if the, and if the first was accepted and holy, then the rest is accepted and holy. Then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What's to do with the unleavened bread? To cut to the chase, learn to live your life unleavened, you know, without sin, without pride, without arrogance, without the things that cause us to puff up in front of the Father, right? You know, things that keep us uh, side, up, side away from Him, that we be humble before Him and learn to walk with Him, that we learn to walk in His ways, okay? Then we're looking towards Shavuot, which is learning to dwell with Him in spirit and in truth, where He gave us His Word by His Ruach to teach us how to walk in a life and a path that says He will bless us in, okay? In the fall Moedim for Yom Teruah, this is time to prepare the way, sound the alarm, get ready, the king is coming. And then Yom HaKippurim, this is a day, to, a, a day of judgment, a day of atonement. And that's what he's looking for. Have you been atoned for? This is a time of judgment. Remember, judgment's only a bad thing if you're on the wrong side of it. <laughs> so judgment will come, but where are we going to be at in that? When we trust in him, if we have been atoned for, if we have been redeemed, then we're, we're coming out favorable. Not on our own works, but because he made a way. Okay, then we have Sukkot. Sukkot, it's the wedding feast, guys. It's the wedding supper. This is a time of testimony that, that we're dwelling with him in this rejoicing, this time seven days. Then Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day, which is tied in with Sukkot, that tells us what does eight represent? New beginnings, eternity, going in. So eight, we're going into this time forever that we will spend this with Yahweh forever as his people, as the bride, and as a people that are set apart and redeemed. They all testify of him, okay? So for Pesach, it's a time of redemption. It's a time of freedom. It's a time for obedience. And it's a time to gather together and learn to walk in his ways. Remember when, when the people came out of Mitzrayim, they didn't just come out all the descendants of Yaakov. The, you know, they were the 12 tribes that came out. But don't forget, there were some who came out with them that were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. See, so this was a gathering of all nations, all people together to come out of these things and to go learn to walk in his ways. And they had to make the testimony that I will follow Yahweh. Much like where we've heard before, your God will be my God. Where have we heard that before? Ruth, 
right? So that's the thing. We were of, of, of the ways of the world. We were of a different people, but now we will serve the God of Israel. And that's a change of heart. That's a change of everything that we are. So we said, Scripture, it's full of prophecy and full of foreshadows, right? When we read through the, the, the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, the writings, when we read through the Tanakh, there are so many things that you can read and you can look back and say, okay, well, that was fulfilled here and that was done here and that was done here. But before these other events happened, they just took it, God at his word, okay? You know, it's, it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, they should have known, but guys, come on. You know, how many things do we love like that? You know, Yahweh gave us his word, but yet you can look back and you're like, oh yeah, that's what he meant. Going through it, you don't always see that. So we need to, to trust Yahweh and to say, as we're going through these things, he knows what he's talking about. And so he'll, he'll lead us in his ways. And these things are prophetic and they will teach us all about him. And then it's wonderful as we start to go back and look at these things, because they're things we may have never seen before. And uh, the, just the word becomes alive and just kind of explodes within us after we set our face to him. But that's one of the joys about studying the word is you're always seeing something that you may have missed before. You know, it's, okay, well, I've read that before. It's not like we go through the Torah. Okay, I've been through that. Now let's move on to something else. No, that's your foundation for life. That's your foundation for living. You read the word to learn the heart of the father and you pray to make sure you have that connection and that relationship with him. But we learn to walk in his ways. That's how we learn discernment. That's how we learn to discern. Well, I, say, well, I discern by the spirit. Okay, but do you know what spirit you're discerning from? You got to get in the word to be able to discern what you're hearing. Okay. Because I say, man, it's funny how a lot of times the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds just like what you want to do that contradicts everything God said, you know? But how dare you question because, you know, God told me, right? We got to walk in some discernment, okay? We got to learn to walk with him in these. So there's things that are very prophetic. One of the things we see in that is the story of Isaac, Okay, Yitzhak is a, is a shadow, a foreshadow of Yeshua. And I'm not going into all of these ways here today, okay? But there, there are many times in the past we've gone like point by point by point by point how the story of Yitzhak laying down his life and the, and the, the binding of Isaac testifies of Yeshua. We're not going to get into all that today. But understand this. When Yahweh brought Israel out of Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim's Egypt, okay? Which, by the way, Mitzrayim, you know what Mitzrayim means? Louder. Troubles. Troubles. See? So when you say Yahweh delivered Israel from Mitzrayim, he delivered them from their trouble. <laughs> that that kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? See? It kind of opens it up. But this is what we're looking at here. So Itzhak laying his life down, this is also shadowed with what Yahweh told to Abraham. He said, uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he said that your descendants are going to go down to a land that's not theirs. They're going to be there 400 years, but I'm going to bring them out. And the people that oppress them, I'm going to judge them when I bring them out. Okay, and the covenant that God made to Abraham was not just for Abraham. It was to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and all of their descendants, and all of those that would join with them. Don't forget, Abraham was not a Jew. The tribe of Judah didn't exist till over 400 years later. <laughs> See? So again... Don't, un, don't misunderstand this. And even when Yahweh made covenant to Abraham, it says that all in Abraham and his household were redeemed. So even, even in Abraham's household, there were those who were not even descendants from Abraham because Abraham didn't have a son yet. That's still, so what, what, what's, what's the issue of covenant here? What's the main thing? How about whosoever will? 
whosoever will. When we come and we give ourselves to Yahweh, He makes the way to have this covenant and relationship with us. But that go, if you want to trace how all this works through and redeeming a people in the earth, guys, you can trace it all the way back to the very beginning, but then you got to go, yes, Adam and Noah, and all, but then you can't forget Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, and everything that descended there. Okay, so let's take a look at some of this. Genesis 18, 10. And then after we do all this, then we're going to get to how Yeshua fits into the picture in all this. So, and he said, I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent of the door, which behind them, in 1812. So therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also. A couple things here. You guys remember, you know the story. After Avram was circumcised, it says that he was in, his, in the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And it says, and Yahweh appeared to him, and he looked up, and he saw these three men standing there. Right? And he says, hey, wait, wait, no, don't go any further. Come, let me give you a morsel of, of, of something to eat. And he sets this banquet up for him, right? And so they said, Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah did what? She laughed. And you're like, she shouldn't have laughed. Oh, come on. How old was she? <laughs> yeah, 90. And be like, I mean, what's your, what's your initial reaction? You know? So, and it's funny because they named him Yitzhak, which means laughter. <laughs> So it's a reminder even there. Is anything too difficult for God? That laughter goes with joy, though, doesn't it? So she wasn't mocking God. It was just the initial unbelief. You know, really? You've got to be kidding me, right? And God's like, no, I'm not kidding you. Check this out. Matter of fact, at the time appointed for it, according to the time of life. Guys, this is something to look at. According to the time of life? What does that mean, according to the time of life? When normally, when you look out in the world and all the different animals and everything like that, and the plants and the trees, if you go by seasons, what's the time of life? Spring, Aviv, the time we're in now. The time when the, when the, when the animals and the little ones and the flowers come back and all this, it's in the time of life. So that one way to look in the time of life, you could say that. But if you look at this as well. She was confronted with the word. She laughed. She denied it. And then Genesis 18, 14. So he says, is anything too hard for Adonai at the time set for it? At the season next year, I will return to you and Sarah will have a son. At the time set for it is Lamoed. So some have believed this to be at the Moed in this season next year. Oh, what are the Moedim again? The appointed times of Yahweh. So many have believed it's a traditional thought that Yitzhak was born around Passover. Why would that be important? Because we know the foreshadows and the different things, the testifying of Yitzhak being the only begotten son and who would, the one who would have the covenant, the one who would be revealed, would come on the scene and be revealed and shown at Passover. Look at this. Traditional thought believes Yitzhak, the promised son, would be born around Pesach. One theory is this. At the set time, Genesis eighteen fourteen to mean the next holy day, as in Leviticus 23, it is, it is deduced that it is Passover. Another thought Many rabbis believe the Messiah would arrive suddenly on the eve of Passover. That, in other words, many believe that the Messiah would be revealed during Passover. Hmm. And the first redemption would serve as a model of the final redemption. And Yitzhak is being given here as a foreshadow of the Messiah. Could he possibly have been born around, around uh, Pesach? Possibly. I'm not giving it as fact. This is one theory that has been told over the years. So, Genesis 22. The Akedah. The Akedah is the binding of Isaac. 
And like I said, we've talked about before the different things, relationship of saying how Yitzhak was a shadow, a foreshadow of Yeshua. But the binding of Isaac, the akeda, the word akod, it's the only time it's used in this form in the scripture is regarding this binding of Isaac. That's something to consider, something to think about. Look, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, and he answered, here am I. So take your son, your only son. Wait a minute. Your who? Only son. What about Ishmael? Guys, when, with the binding of Isaac, people always say this like he was like maybe 12 or 13. Guys, he was more than likely in his early, early to mid-30s. Because it doesn't fit the timeline if you think he's any younger than that. I mean, you read about when he was born, how old Ishmael was, and then after he was weaned and the time. And No, he was in his early to mid-30s when he was here. He could have well said, Dad, you don't know what you're doing and I'm not doing it. <laughs> True? So that's not the case. So he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son whom you love. See what he's saying, your, your unique, Yechidcha is the word used there. And so Yechad also means together as one, right? So he says, take your unique son, your beloved son whom you love. This is another foreshadowing of Yeshua. Take your son of covenant, the one whom I said the covenant would extend through. And take him to the land of Moriah. There you will offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will point out to you. Okay, so when he look at this, something else to consider here. It says, so take your son, et bincha, the aleph taf bincha, your only, et yachidcha, your aleph taf yachidcha son, Itzak, et Itzak, aleph taf Isaac. Why is this important? Because like we said regarding things with the Aleph Toph in the Scripture, guys, in the standalone, in, in the Aleph Toph the way it is, it's in the Scripture over 7,000 times. It's not really translated. What does that mean? And, and say, well, even today in modern Hebrew, the Aleph Toph, the Et, it's, it's used in a manner of to point towards a definite article in grammar. That's correct. But the thing is, in the Scripture, if that was the only reason why it's used, then there are places in the scripture where it should be there and it's not. And there are places where it shouldn't be there that it is. So does God not know how to speak? Or is he trying to tell us something? Look, the Aleph Taf, back in Genesis 1.1, remember seven words there, only six are translated. The one that's not translated is the Aleph Taf. John 1.1 in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. Remember when he spoke to Yachanan, when he's writing the, the book for Revelation, the book of Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha Omega, right? Okay, first off, why would someone not be speaking in their native language when he's telling them to write something down? I mean, why? I mean, John was a Hebrew speaker. Yeah, he spoke Greek, but he was a Hebrew speaker. He's not speaking to anybody else around. Why wouldn't he have said, I am the Aleph Toph? I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. See, Alpha Omega doesn't mean anything else other than the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Aleph Toph together is in the scripture over 7,000 times that's not translated. Something's there. So this is a matter of showing us. So when he says, take your son, your Aleph Toph son, the Aleph Toph Isaac, Aleph Toph Yehidcha, he's showing us this is foreshadowing the Messiah. This is showing what the Messiah would come to do. And this is something is going to happen here that's going to reveal something regarding the Messiah. This is called the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, the Akeda. So they came to the place that God had told them about, and Abraham built Aleph Taf He built the altar there, and he set the Et Ha'itzim, the Aleph Taf wood, in order, and he bound Aleph Taf Yitzhak and set him on the wood. Are you starting to see something? Another shadow of the Messiah is what we're looking at here. When you bind like this for sacrifice, when you bind for the sacrifice, you bind the, the, the hands and the feet together with the rope, and then the binding together with the rope, what's it going to leave? It's going to leave marks. 
The binding of the story of Isaac is the story of the marks that are left, the stripes that are left on Isaac. The marks in his hands and feet. Think of Yeshua. The marks in his hands and feet. Okay. The story of the Akeda is, again, the story, the story of the marks that are left on his body. And here's another thing, guys. You're marked. If you belong to him, you're marked with him. He set you apart. He called you to walk in his ways. You are marked by him, his word, and his life in you, his spirit that dwells in you. You're not like the ways of the world. You're different. So remember the blessing, the covenant promise that Yahweh gave to Avraham? In chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 12, Yahweh says to Avram, go from your country and go and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will, so that you will be a blessing. But look at this. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Blessed. Interesting thing here with this word blessed that's given here. The word for blessed is venivrahu. Venivrahu, which is translated as well as not just blessing, but grafted in. So what he says is, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, but all the, through you, all the nations of the earth will be grafted in. Think Romans 11, guys. It says that, he, that, that, that Yeshua came so that we would be grafted in. We're part of the tree. Yeshua said, I'm the vine. You are the branches, right? We need that. And then don't forget, when Yahweh made covenant with Abraham, Abraham was not able to fulfill that covenant. Abraham was put asleep. Who walked between the pieces? A flaming torch and a smoking furnace walked between those pieces, which is the same testimony of what was seen on Mount Sinai for Yahweh and Yeshua being there. Who walked between the pieces when the covenant was made with Abraham? Yahweh and Yeshua. So who can fulfill the covenant that God gave to Abraham? Not Abraham, because he died. Who could fulfill that covenant? Yeshua. What was the blessing? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and grafted in. And Yeshua, in Galatians chapter 3, go to verses 8, 14, 28. All this says that Yeshua came and did what he did so that the blessing that God gave to Abraham would go to the Gentiles. So that the blessing that God gave to Abraham would go to the nations. Yeshua came so that all the nations would have access to Yahweh and in a place of covenant to be one people, not divided people, not factions of people, but they would be one people before him. He doesn't say, I'm the God of the Jewish people, or I'm the God of the Christians. He's the God of Israel. And if you can't say, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I serve the God of Israel, then you got problems because that's how God identifies himself. Look, what did he say to Isaac? This is what he said to Abraham. What did he say to Isaac? Genesis 26, 23, and 24. He went up from there to Bathsheba, and Adonai appeared to him that night, and he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of, my, of Abraham, my servant. What did he say to Jacob regarding that? Genesis 35, 11, and 12. God says to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and an assembly of nations will come from you. See how he's kind of unfolding this and kind of exploring it a little more? He didn't change the promise. He's kind of revealing a little more involved in it. A nation and an assembly of nations will come from you. Your loin, from your loins will come forth kings. And the land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your seed after you, I will give the land. A nation and a company of nations involving your seed that comes from you will be given this place of Israel. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you are the sons of God through trusting in Messiah Yeshua. Have we not been saved by grace through faith? But guess what, guys? It's always been that way. It's never been any different. We come in faith, and by His grace, He draws us. He, he makes us in covenant. 
He pulls us to him. That's how we serve him. So you are sons of God through trusting Messiah Yeshua. For all of you who are immersed in the Messiah have clothed yourselves with the Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And you can say, so does this literally mean that there's no Jew or Greek? He also says there's no male or female. So what's he talking about here? He's saying, look past of where you're at and start to identify yourselves as one people. One people together. One family. One body. You are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you belong to the Messiah, then you are who? Abraham's seed. And there's according to the promise. That gets looked over. Because it says if you believe in Messiah Yeshua, then you're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. To what promise? The promise that God gave to Abraham to be grafted in, be a part of a people of faith, to be a part of a place of covenant. So how do they become a nation? Usually, interesting thought here, usually a nation is formed when a group shares common land, they have common resources and common needs, then they decide to band together and form a nation. Israel is not so. Israel became a nation in a land that was not theirs. Israel became a nation built on common identity, or patriarchs, built on covenant position, a people of Yahweh. Israel became a nation because of who they were in covenant with. They became a people because of who their God was. It was only after the position of covenant that they were brought to the land. See, the people, the position, the covenant, and those promises to bring the people into the land then. Have you ever seen a nation that doesn't have a land? <laughs> Israel is the testament. Galatians 15, 13, or Genesis 15, 13. Again, he said, your, your seed will be strangers in a strange land that is not theirs. They were there 400 years. And at the right time, at the appointed time, they came out and Yahweh redeemed them. Deuteronomy 29, 11 and 12. It says, each of you is to cross over into this covenant of Adonai, your God, that he is cutting with you today. See that? They all came out together and he said, I redeemed you. But he said, you are going to have to make the decision that you are going to walk in this. See, each of you today is going to have to testify of this covenant that Adonai your God is cutting with you today into his oath. This is in order to confirm you today as his people, so he will be your God just as he promised you and just as he swore to your father. So Abraham to Yitzhak and to Yaakov. So how do they become a nation? Look, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov became Israel. And keep this in mind as well. And all those joined with him. All the other people from all the other nations, all the foreigners from all the other lands, all these other people who wanted to serve Yahweh came in to be a part of a people called Israel. You can't say, Yahweh, I love you and hate your brother. Your brother's Israel. Look, again, what was said to Yaakov? He said that a nation and an assembly of nations will come from you. Not will be associated with you, not will come. No, will come from you. Do you see that? And that's exactly literally what it says. He says, Goy, we call Goyim. What's Goy? Nations. See, some people translate it as Gentile. Literally, it just means nations. Goy means nation. So he says, a nation and a kahal. Kahal is an assembly or a congregation. So a nation and an assembly or congregation of nations will come from you. How can you get nations from one man? What happens? Rabbi Raphael Hirsch puts it this way. The nation which is to descend from him is to represent one entity to the outside world. What is that one entity to the outside world? Israel. But internally, this is exciting, is to be a multiplicity of elements united into one. Each tribe is to represent an ethnic individuality in its own right. From the outside world, you look in, they see Israel. But inwardly, looking at Israel means people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. 
Matter of fact, when we read the book of Revelation, when all the world is gathered and together, and he says, and they will all testify, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will testify. He is the one true. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, right? The whole of mankind with all its diversity is called on to accept one common conception of God as taught by Israel, and so form all the different individual and national characteristics of mankind into one united kingdom of God. All people, all tongues, all tribe, all nations come together to serve one God. That means we're one people. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, which means nations, right? Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and, uh, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in the Messiah, Yeshua, you who were far off are now brought near by the blood of Yeshua. So if you were far off, what were you far off from? And you're brought near, what are you brought near to? And you could say, brought near to God, you'd be right, okay? But what specifically does he say? That you were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were alienated from them. You were separated from Yeshua. You were separated from the Messiah. All of these things. But in him, you are brought near to be part of relationship with Yahweh relationship with Yeshua, and brought him to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel. Ezekiel 47, 22 and 23 says, you are to divide the land by lot for an inheritance for you and for the outsiders who dwell among you. See that? For Israel and for those who are not Israel who are dwelling in the land with them. Guys, so much of the, of the promised redemption that is coming when Yahweh says, I'm going to bring all the people from all over the world. He says he's going to bring them back to Israel. All those who serve him, he's bringing back to Israel. Has that happened yet? So here, Ezekiel 47, 23. So you divide by lot for an inheritance for you and for the outsiders who dwell among you, whoever bears children among you, they will be to you like the native born of the sons of Israel. They will be allotted an inheritance along with you among the tribes of Israel. And whatever tribe the outsiders live, there you will give him an inheritance. It is the declaration of Adonai. So, you know, some people get caught up on, on the tribal. What tribe do you think you are? It really doesn't matter. You know, just understand that wherever we are, it will be associated with the God of Israel and he will bring us in and he'll divide it all out and he'll set it all straight. Much like when they came out of Mitzrayim, he, he associated them by tribes when they came out. You know, when they came out, they were all like, they, they lived in the areas of where they worked and what they did and everything like, like that. But when God brought them out, he says, we're going to reorganize you guys. I'm going to associate you by families and by tribes. And you're going to put you together. I want this tribe here, this tribe here, this tribe here. See? Even the, the New Jerusalem, right? Twelve gates. What are the names on them? Where's the Gentile gate? You're going in through one of those twelve, guys. Which one? It doesn't matter. You're going in through one of those twelve. He'll, he'll tell you which one to go through, all right? Don't, don't sweat the detail there. Look, Isaiah 56, 6 through 8. And the foreigners who join themselves to Adonai to minister to him and to love the name of Adonai and to be his servants, all who keep from profaning Shabbat and hold fast to my covenant. See that? Even the foreigners, even those not Israel who, who says they want to serve the God of Israel, what does he say? Hold fast to my covenant, keep Shabbat. These I will bring to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Adonai Elohim, who gathers the dispersed of Israel. See that? We're even talking about those of the nations. He says he gathers in all the nations and even those of dispersed Israel. He will gather all people to him. And they will be a blessing in his house. 
Did you ever see that? When Yeshua said, don't you have you read my house will be a house of prayer for all people? Did you ever understand, if you go back to Isaiah, when that was initially said, that that was given in response to all nations coming to him and keeping Shabbat and keeping his covenant and honoring him in these things? More food for thought, right? Isaiah 2, 2 and 3. So it will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's house will stand firm as the head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills. So all nations will flow to it. All who? All nations will flow to it. Will flow to what? The mountain of Adonai. What's the mountain of Adonai? Zion, Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, Yerushalayim, the place where he said he's going to place his name there. And guys, he literally did. I don't have the time to get into that today, but literally he carved his name in the mountains of Israel. And so verse 3. Many people will go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Yaakov, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. The Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of Adonai from Yerushalayim. Romans 10, verses 10 through 15 says, For with the heart it is believed for righteousness, and with the mouth it is confessed for salvation. For the scripture says, whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, richly generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of Adonai will be saved. That's, that's the requirement, isn't it? That we turn our hearts toward him, but then we got to listen to his voice from that point forward, right? It's not like I call on Yahweh, save me, redeem me, do this, but I don't want to do what you tell me to do. Yeah? Now that, now that we've surrendered our life to him, we need to really surrender our life to him. Verse 14. So how then shall they call on one whom, whom they have not trusted? And how shall they trust one who they have not heard of? And how will they hear without someone proclaiming? And how will they proclaim unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things, which he's quoting from Isaiah 52, 7. And what were they proclaiming? They're proclaiming salvation who says, your God reigns. Hey guys, what's the Hebrew word for salvation? Yeshua. So Yeshua, our Passover. We talked about this in the past, in the past couple weeks we've given here. Yeshua, our Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8 says, Cleanse the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For the Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See that? Because of the Messiah, that means we, have, we are in a position of covenant. We are in relationship. But because of that, get rid of the old leaven. The scripture says when you come to him, old things, what? All things are new. He didn't say some things. All things. So all things are new. So we have to learn how to live this unleavened life, right? And that's what he came to teach us. So observe the Seder. Do it. But get rid of the leaven. That's how you observe. Get rid of the leaven. Four expressions of redemption that are given here. When we think redeem, redeem, we normally just think born again. But Yahweh says when he redeemed Israel, there were four expressions of redemption that are given here. I'm not going to break them all down here today, but if you want an interesting study, take a look at it. It's pretty, it's pretty neat, okay? Because when Yahweh says he redeemed you, there's multiple things that are going on that he says he's doing in your life, okay? Let's take a look at this real quick. The four expressions of redemption is similar to the four cups at Passover. When we read in Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore say to the people of Israel, Ani Yahweh. That's the very first and foremost thing. Ani Yahweh. You know, if you ask some people, what's the first commandment? You speak of the ten sayings, the ten words, the ten commandments, however you want to call them. What's the first one, right? You know, it depends on which translation you're reading. Seriously. Because if you read in a Hebrew scripture, the very first commandment is, I am Yahweh, your God who redeemed you, who brought you out of Egypt, you will have no other gods before. The very first commandment is about relationship. The very first of all the commands is, I am Yahweh your God. 
you're to have no other gods. In other words, if you don't have that relationship with him, then the rest don't matter. The very first thing, is he the one? That's the primary number. Look, the redemption, when it reads here, say to the people, I am Yahweh. And because of that, here's what happens. And that's what it said, these words here, these are the ones you want to look at if you want to, if you want to dig a little deeper in that. It says, I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. That's Yetzah. I will free you. I will rescue you, is the word Natsal, which means I will rescue you from their oppression. Redeem you, is the word Ga'al. You may have heard Goel, like a, a kinsman redeemer. Goel, that's the word that's used there. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm of great judgments, and I will take you, Lechach. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and then you will know I am Adonai, your God, who freed you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. You want to know a, more of a full picture of what redemption really means? These four expressions will give you a better idea of what's happening in your life when Yahweh says you're mine, okay? Because if these, this isn't what you did. This is what he did, okay? All right, so all those from the nations and all of Israel that have been scattered will all come together as one people, one people. And see, a lot of times we say, you know, Yahweh, I serve you, but we're not so quick on being with others. No, one people, one body, all different parts, all different functions, all different things, but one body gathered together to function as he desires. Ezekiel 37, 11 to 14, consider this. He said to me, son of man, these bones, what are the bones? The bones that were scattered in the valley and all this. And he says, prophesy to the bones, speak to the wind. That means the wind, the ruach is going to gather the bones together. And who are the bones? He says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That means all the tribes and all those that were gathered in with them. But there's more that's going on here. It says, say, uh, and they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're cut off. We're by ourselves. But therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says Adonai Elohim. This is awesome, guys. Look at verse 12. Behold, I open your graves. I bring you up out of your grave, my people. And I bring you back to Israel. And you will know that I am Adonai when I have opened your graves and brought you up out of your graves, my people. And I will put my ruach in you and you will live. And I will place you in your own land and you will know that I, Adonai, have spoken and that I have done it. It is a declaration of Adonai. So we talk about the bones are the whole house of Israel, all them gathering together, and it is done by his spirit. He says that this is truly going to happen when he raises people up, up from out of their graves. Hmm. I wonder what that could mean. He is the resurrection and the life through hope in him, right? Look, moving a little further, Ezekiel 37, 16. So now, son of man, take one stick and write on it for Yehud, for Yehuda, and B'nai Israel joined with him. The word, so there's actually four groups of people that are listed here. People talk about, so it's Judah and Ephraim, right? Yeah, but that's only two. There's actually four groups of people listed here. So it says Judah and who? The sons of Israel joined with him. Havro is the Hebrew word used there. You know what Havro means? To be associated with and to join together. Okay, Haver is the Hebrew word for friend. And friend wasn't just an associate. Friend in scripture was a covenant relationship. Okay, so, so take, this is for Judah and the sons of Israel, all those joined with him. And then take another stick and write Leosef, the stick of Ephraim, and the house of Israel joined with him. Notice the difference of the phrasing, the sons, the house, Take this and then join them. And then take one stick to yourself and one stick so they may become one in your hand. And when he says you bring the sticks together, they'll become one in your hand. Literally, he doesn't say you're joining the sticks together. All he says there is you bring the sticks near to one another. Literally in the Hebrew, that's what he says. Bring the sticks near to one another and I will join them. 
All we got to do is learn that we're one body and we got to learn to get together. He'll do the rest. And that's the exciting part. But we got to learn how to work together. We got to learn how to be a people redeemed and part of the body, right? Ezekiel 37, 21. And say to them, thus says Adonai Elohim, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. Where's the mountains of Israel? That's the northern kingdom. That was the northern part of Israel. Those are the mountains of Israel. That's the Shomron. Who dwelt in the northern mountains of Israel? Ephraim. So uh, I, will, I will bring them in the land of the mountains of Israel and one king will be king to them all. Who's that king? Yeshua. He is our king. And they will no longer be two nations. Never again will they be divided into two kingdoms. What's the goal? One people, one king, one God, one shepherd. All together. Jeremiah 31, 10 and 11. Hear the word of Adonai, O nations, and declare it in the distant lands. See, in the nations and in the distant lands, all these far off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather and watch over him as a shepherd does his flock. For Adonai has ransomed Jacob, and he redeemed him from the hand of one stronger than he. See, when we talk about this gathering back of all Israel from the nations, guys, I want you to understand something. This is the single largest prophecy through all the Tanakh. It's in every book, this gathering of all the people back. And it's the most overlooked, but it, so it's, what pro, it's what Yahweh promised. Even Deuteronomy 29, 26 to 29, where he says, oh, and so you went and you served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom you had not known and whom you had not allotted to them. Therefore, in anger, Yahweh was kindled against this land, bringing upon it the curses written in the book. And Yahweh uproots them from their land in anger and a fury with gate wrath and cast them into their, another land as they are to this day. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do the words of this law. Where it says that he takes them and he casts them into this other land. In the, in the Torah, it's written as Vayeshlechem, but if you look in the Torah, that Lamed is larger than any of the other letters in, in, in these other area right here. Guys, what's a Lamed? It's a shepherd's staff. It's a shepherd's staff. And so what does a shepherd's staff do? Well, on the one end, you got the stick. What's it for? It's, well, it's for protection, but also to send something away, right? But the other end is a hook. What's it used for? Bring them back. Bring them back. Grab them by the neck, pull them with you, Right? So he says that he cast them into another land, but he's showing us in the word, though I cast them into another land, the great shepherd will bring them back. And then he says the secret things belong to Yahweh, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. This word reveal is also the word used for redeem. So the things that are redeemed belong to us and our children forever. But who are we? Have, not, have we not been redeemed? Do we not belong to him, our great shepherd? Deuteronomy 31 through 4. So when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse that I have set before you, and you take them into heart and all the nations where Adonai your God has banished you, say the blessing and the curse in all the nations, and you return to Adonai your God, to Shuvah, you return, you repent, you return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice. You can't have repentance without listening to his voice, okay? So you, re you repent and you listen to his voice. What does his voice tell you? According to all that I am commanding you today, <laughs> and you and your children, and uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, then Adonai your God will bring you back from captivity. Bring you back from where? Wherever you are. Bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. He will return and gather you from all the people where Adonai your God has scattered you. Even if your outcasts are at the ends of the heavens, from there Adonai your God will gather you. From there he will bring you. What's this implying? That's where they're going to be. <laughs> even, if, even if they're over on the farthest reaches, guess what? That's where they are. And so no matter where we are in the world, Yahweh says, his people, 
Those who are called by his name, no matter where they are, they profess him, he will gather them all together to be one. Going on with Jeremiah 31, 18 to 21. I'm going to try to move quickly through this. Indeed, I heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Restore me, and I will return, for you are Adonai my God. For after I returned, I repented. And after that, I was instructed, and I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and humiliated, for I bore disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim a precious son to me? Is he a delightful child? For as often as I spoke against him, I still certainly remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have compassion on him. It is a declaration of Adonai. Erect road markers, set up signposts, set your heart toward the highway and the way which you travel to return, O virgin Israel, return to your cities. He's saying of all this, he's calling people who were far off and far away and that were removed to repent and come back home, which is, by the way, the word teshuva. Shuv literally means to return home. So again, we're coming back home to Yahweh. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declaration of Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You may have heard this quoted in Hebrews. Guess what? New covenant is an old covenant term. Here, here in Jeremiah, it tells you what the new covenant is. What is it? Verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Covenant with who? house of Israel. That means all of Israel. I will put my Torah in them. I will write it on their heart and I will be their God and they will be my people. What is the new covenant? God doesn't change his word. He changes you. He doesn't change that. He says that that, that which was written without, or that which was outside of you, he will now write to be a very core of who you are. He writes his word within you. Change your very character and make him more, make you more like him. Much like today, we want to make God more like us. Nope. He's already done that. <laughs> He's making us more like him. Verse 34. No longer will each, of, each say to his neighbor, saying, uh, No, Adonai, for they all will know me. Are we there yet? No, but we're getting there. For release them to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. When Yeshua came, what did he come to do? Just that. 35. So thus says Adonai, who gives sun as light by day, fixed order of the moon and the stars light by night, who stirs up the sea so its waves roar. Yahweh Tzavaot is his name. Verse 36, only if this fixed order departs from before me, this declaration of Adonai, then also my Israel's offspring cease to be a nation from before me for all time. Thus says Adonai, only if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then also I will cast off the offspring of Israel for all they have done. This is a declaration of Adonai. Yahweh is saying that he will not cast off the descendants of Israel as much, just as sure as the sun is there and the stars are there and there's earth here. You know what that means? Where are they? But God promised. So are we saying, well, that doesn't make sense, God. So your promise doesn't mean anything to us or do we trust him? Look, you want to know when all this takes place? You want to know when all this, we're gathering all the nations, gathering all the people and all that profess his name and all these, you want to know when it takes place? Jeremiah tells us too. Jeremiah 31, 7 and 8. Thus says Adonai, sing aloud with joy, Jacob, shout with the chief of the nations. See that? He's saying Jacob's in the nations and, and all this. Proclaim, give praise to say, Adonai, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Wait, wait, wait. Adonai, save your people, um, Hoshiana. You know, when, the, when, when Yeshua came in and people are sounding Hosanna, you know what they were really saying? Hoshiana. That's Hebrew. It means save us. God, save. So when Yeshua came in and they're declaring Hoshiana before him. What's happening here? Verse 8, Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and I will gather them from the ends of the earth, and among them the blind and the lame and the pregnant together with she who was in labor with child, and a great throng will return. Those who are blind, those who are lame, those who are sick, God will restore all of his people and bring them all together from no matter where they are. I want to show you something extremely interesting regarding, 
a lot of times we read through scriptures and we go to back to the Hebrew, we go back to the Greek, we go back to different things that are given there. And the reason for that is to see an understanding because here's the fact, if you're reading a translation, as no matter how good it is, it's still a translation, okay? I'm not saying don't listen to anything because we can't read it in the original language. No, I'm saying, you know, believe that Yahweh's given us what we can understand. Matter of fact, if, and, and it's like, what well, was it a sin to translate? Guys, we, we understand because he talked to us in our language, okay? So, we, we learn and we grow is the point, okay? So a lot of times we'll look back to the original languages for, for different things. Uh, when the Septuagint was written, not getting into all the history of why the Septuagint was written, but when the Septuagint was written, they took the Hebrew and they wrote, wrote it into Greek because that was what everybody spoke, right? So there are some things that we can learn along the way here. I'm not a, honestly, I'm not a big fan of it, but it happened. But because it happened, it gave us insight into how people translated certain Hebrew words and how certain phrases were translated and what their understanding of these scriptures were at the time. Make sense? So what does this say from the Septuagint? For it is a day when those that plead on the mountains of Ephraim will call, saying, Arise and go up to Zion to the Lord your God. For thus says the Lord to Jacob, Rejoice and exult over the head of the nations. Make proclamation and praise and say, The Lord has delivered his people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north. I will gather them from the end of the earth to the feast of Passover. And the people will beget great multitude and they will return here. Guys, what they're saying is that they believe this, that at the time of Passover, God is going to show his, rede his redeeming his people and bringing all people and all nations together into one. And it's going to happen at Passover. This is reconfirmed. The word used there, if you guys have any doubt, what's used there, according to the Septuagint, is the word fasek, which is used in other places in the scripture to, do, to say Passover. So if it's translated Passover here, 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 and here, why not here? What did Yeshua say? Matthew 15, 24, Yeshua said, I am sent to whom? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. John 10, 27, Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. See that? So it's not just hearing his voice. It's my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Matter of fact, this phrase, don't forget, to hear my voice is synonymous with the phrase be obedient. How many of you have even said something like that to your children? I know different generations have different phrases, okay? But you see the gray, so give me a break, all right? But, but how many of you have ever said to your kid, do you, do you hear me? What do you mean when you say that? What do you mean? When, do, you, do you really want to know, can they hear you? Or are you saying something else? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You say, do you hear me? What you are telling them is, I want you to do what I am saying. You're wanting obedience. Yahweh says, my sheep, hear my voice. That means we hear and we're obedient. We hear and we follow. John 10, 14 to 16, Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd. Where else have we seen the great shepherd? Back in Deuteronomy that we just read, what is the great shepherd going to do? Gather all the outcasts. When Yeshua came, what did he do? Gather those who were outcasts, those who were hurting, those who were lame, those who were lost. So he came, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And look at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not from this fold. So what other fold? What other sheep? I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead and they will listen to my voice. And there will be what? One flock, one shepherd. Go a little further down in John chapter 11, verses 47 to 55. 
So the ruling Kohanim and the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and they said, what are we doing? They asked, this man is performing many signs. If we let him continue going on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, I think that was the point. <laughs> okay, but putting that aside. So if, we, if this continues, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our holy place and our nation. See, there's the motive right there. They're saying, if we let Yeshua go on and continue what he's doing, we're going to lose our position of authority and power. That was the issue. Because okay. keep in mind when it talks about the different of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these other people, it wasn't all of them. It was the ruling ones. You know, Paul said, I am a Pharisee. He didn't say I was. <laughs> you know, I'm a Pharisee. Was that, then we, but we say Pharisee is synonymous with bad people. No, 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 no. Remember Nicodemus as well. Right. He was a Pharisee, right? And he was seeking Yeshua, right? So again, just to, just to kind of get that out of your head. But then, verse 49, Caiaphas who was the Kohen Gadol. So he would have understood a certain thing about sacrifice and other things, right? He was a Kohen Gadol that year, said to them, you know nothing. Don't, you know, don't, or don't take into account that it is better for you that one man die for the people rather than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He was saying that don't you know for one man to die, one man to lay down his life could, could, is beneficial for the whole nation. Consider even all the way down to the uh, cities of refuge that were given in the scripture. If someone had committed manslaughter, or someone was guilty, if they had shed blood or whatever, they went to these cities and they were to stay there and they would be safe from those who would, to, who would come to try to exact justice on them, if you will. They would be safe. They would be covered if they were, I mean, they were guilty. They did it. It was manslaughter, not murder. There was a difference, right? And so they, they did it. They were guilty. They shed blood, but yet they were covered as long as they were in these cities. But when the high priest died, this person, for some reason, could now go back home and be restored to be part of Israel, part of his people. What's the picture we're getting here? That when our high, when our high priest, at his death, he came to restore and gather all people back home. And that's what Caiaphas is getting at. He says, don't you know, one man better lay down his life instead of all the people perish? But there's more. Verse 51. Now, he did not say this by himself, but as a Kohen Gadol that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for the nation. But what else? And not that nation only, but also that he might gather together into one who? The scattered children of God. Who were the ones that were scattered into the earth at the time that Yeshua walked here? He said, I came for the lost sheep. If they're lost. I mean, Yeshua knew where they were, but like anybody else. So from that day, they plotted to kill him. I wonder why. <laughs> so therefore, Yeshua no longer walked openly among the Judeans, but he went from there to a country near the wilderness to a city called, you want to guess? Ephraim. <laughs> you don't have to guess. It's right there. <laughs> so from there, he went to Ephraim and there he stayed there with his disciples. And then Passover was near. Hmm. All is showing the picture of the Yeshua came to gather people from all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation to gather in together to be his people. And they're all things that we see, all prophecy, all shadow, all of these things are happening. And we saw that again in Ephesians 2, 12 and 14. Though we were estranged, though the, we were far off, we were now brought near in Yeshua. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. What are we instructed to do in these times? Therefore, get rid of the old woman. He says, old things have passed away, all things have become new. What is our responsibility in that? Examine yourself. Yahweh, I'm yours. I want to be a faithful servant. So I will examine my heart every day. I will come before you. Get out the old leaven. Why? 
so that you can be a new batch. Just as you are unleavened for Messiah, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen? Yeshua has gathered you. He has cleansed you. He has restored you. And he said, all we need to do is follow him. But understand when we come to him, he makes us part of one people. We've got to start seeing that. One people, one body, one shepherd.